morning to you as well. Mwanani, Mibugenjani. However, you greet each other for those who are joining online. Uh, we say good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you may be. Uh, this is uh, God's house. It's for us all to pay attention, to hear Him as He instructs us, as He rebukes us, as He teaches us that we may be equipped for all good works, even in this day. We are going through the series on the book of Acts, and last week we were left in chapter 9, set to proceed beyond what has been happening within the Jewish community, uh, as Christ is spread, his love, uh, the resurrected Christ is shared as the Savior. We move on to uh, chapter 10 and 11. And these two, I ask that we read as a unit on one sitting as much as possible for us to have a better idea of what's happening. I was just commenting to, to George and uh, Pastor Asafa that uh, it's easier to run the interpretation of visions uh, and miss out what God could be saying in these uh, 15, 16 verses that we're looking at today. So for the greater part of my preparation, I was uh, more comfortable to talk about what comes after uh, verse 16. Uh, but I struggled from Wednesday that that's not what I've been asked to do. So I am listening as much as you are listening to what God has to share with us from these visions. So far, we know that uh, the word has, has come because persecution has intensified. And we know Peter is in this region because he has come to support the believers uh, who ran away uh, as Stephen was ultimately uh, martyred. And therefore, the word did not stop because Stephen was killed, but we know major work was done in the conversion of Saul, but also in what Philip did. So none of the apostles had appeared yet, and now Peter has been introduced into this region outside Jerusalem. And what we are looking at here is the setting of the platform, uh, setting of hearts and minds, setting of a uh, community of the Jewish believers uh, and the Gentiles to do two things, to fellowship together uh, as one body of Christ, but also to worship together as the body of Christ. So the visions we have are the visions of uh, Cornelius and the vision of Peter. And uh, we will go through simply observing what is the text saying. Uh, we will discuss that but we also go on to look at the question, what is God asking us to do here? After he has shown us who he is through these visions, what people are, who people are, and of course, how he works, and ultimately, what message does he give us as he is the one who is at work? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Amazing love, how it can be. That sinners like we are could be brought with no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord 
who is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Today we ask, Lord, that you make us as we have been. You continue to make us fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise that came in Christ Jesus through this gospel. So today, Father, we ask that you speak, O Lord, as we come to you, that we may receive the food of your holy word. We pray that you may take your truth and plant it deep in our hearts, that you may shape our thinking, you may shape our actions, Lord, that will be fashioned in your likeness. That as we leave this place today, the light of Christ is what will shine in us, through us, into a dark world. That your acts of love and grace, your deeds of faith, will speak through us that only you, our Lord, ought to be honored, to be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. God teaches us in many ways, but his lesson is one throughout. I am God the creator. And when Christ came, I'm God your savior. At times he gives us direct commands, thou shalt not. That's easy to understand, it's easy to follow. But he also gives us principles and concepts from which he helps us through his word, to infer application. God calls us to obedience. He calls us to act if we have faith in his word. So he communicates in various ways, and those include what we see here today, visions. Throughout the Bible, you pick up people like Joseph, like Daniel, who are known for interpreting dreams and visions. It's a key tool that God has been using over the ages. But what in this instance are these visions saying to us? Were they saying to those who in those contexts, Cornelius and Peter? What will we do if we have understood what God is saying? The context in which I would like us to apply our minds to this passage is in that we were called in Acts 1 verse 8 to be the witnesses of the risen Lord, the ascended Lord. And that witness is to say he is alive, number one. Number two, he is the Savior. That's why in that case, we will say salvation belongs to the Lord. All that is happening is his initiation. He created us, we sinned, he followed us, we rejected him, he followed us until he died for us. And even today we see him coming to set the ground of fellowship of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues, such that what John saw in a vision in Revelation will come true one day. So let's observe. Verse 1 says of uh, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, who was at Caesarea, 
was a man, was a centurion in what was known as an Italian regiment. That tells us who Cornelius was of Roman citizenry. If he is to be a captain in an army, he ought to have been recognized as one of them. He was a leader. He says it's anything between 80 and 100 men that he took control of. Caesarea was an important place for Rome. This was a political uh, administrative city for Caesar. So it is an important place where we find Cornelius. But verse 2 further tells us what's happening with Cornelius. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius is said to have feared the God of the Jews. Being a Roman, this becomes an important part to understand. He should have been worshipping, praying to more than one God. But this statement tells us that he had chosen to follow only one God. That is important to know for a Roman officer. He is here to protect a Roman culture, a Roman expansion, a Roman way of life. But to remain as a captain who has stood on his own without hesitation and to say, I shall worship the God of the Jews, only one God, that says a lot of who he was. He feared God. Not only him, but also his house. And his house, in this case, is not just his immediate family, but includes his servants as well. He gave alms. His faith was with action. Alms were typically considered and valued, especially given to the Jewish people. So he did act out his faith. Cornelius prayed regularly, always, constantly. Therefore, he was a man who just didn't stand and proclaim, but he lived out his faith. In verse 3, we meet Cornelius during the third hour in the afternoon. In this passage, it's not said that he was praying, but third hour typically is a time when there would be prayers for the Jews. He was awake and he had a vision. A vision comes when one is awake, alert of what is happening, as opposed to a dream when one is deep in his sleep, typically at night, though one can sleep even during day. So we are not talking of a dream here, but it is a vision. Way in the afternoon, mid-afternoon, highly likely according to the Jewish time. And in this vision, the Bible says he distinctly, he clearly saw. So at times visions come, but they are blurred. You see something like, but he sees clearly an angel, and his response is fear. 
So he also stares, which means he was awake and alert of what's happening. He looks intently with fear at the angel of God that he was seeing. And the same verse 3 goes on to hear his name called Cornelius. And at this moment, Cornelius asks a question. What is it, Lord? What is it that you want me to do? This, remember, is a captain of a battalion. He is a soldier. And therefore, he knows when he sees higher authority. If it were today's soldiers, he probably would have stood in attention, waiting for an instruction. And he asks, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? And a message is brought by the angel, and the message is clear. Your prayers and alms have been taken not off by God as a memorial offering. A memorial offering was given by the children of Israel for them to remember who God was, but equally so, for God to remember his own children. His promise all the way from Abraham. Cornelius is next instructed to go and call Simon, who is also called Peter. And Simon, as we had last week, was lodged at Simon the Tanner's house. The stage has been set. What do we observe here? What's our reflection? What's our take home on Cornelius' vision? It was a real vision. God visited with him. The message was clear. Not that today there are many people who are bringing visions about you, about us, about the world. And most of these visions are not done in privacy as we see in the Bible. Be careful who brings the message to you. This was done in a secluded place. Cornelius meets with God through the angel. It's not in a crowd where I am wearing certain spiritual issues to see. The message is clear. That is given. It's not riddles. God acknowledges you. God knows you by name. You are Cornelius. And God knows what you have been doing and the acknowledges, affirms all your acts of faith to my people. And today I have come and I have come to ask you to do one thing. Go and call Simon Peter. Do we hear God speak today? Are we in that place where we can hear God speak with us? Is our faith shown by our actions? Will God be able to affirm you as you sit here, as you live your life each day? Verses 7 and 8, Cornelius obeys as the soldier that he is, without question. I have a challenge with Cornelius because typically I would ask, but why don't you just tell me what Peter is supposed to tell me? Just have it done with. You are here already. Why should I send someone, not only one, men, it says, to some 48 or so kilometers to call someone? Remember, there were no cars then. They had to walk 
So as we will see in the text, it's waiting for three days before the message comes. Lord, just tell me. Cornelius trusts and obeys. He sends men. And while they are on their way, we are told that Peter is having hunger and he has gone to the rooftop where he is going to pray. This seems to be midday for Peter. And as he is praying, he falls into a trance. It's not a dream. It's not a typical vision as we saw with Cornelius. But it's a place where subconsciously you are aware of what's happening, but you get into a place where you see yourself taken almost like an out-of-body experience. And he sees coming out of heaven a sheet holding on four ends, and in there were all kinds of creatures. There were reptiles, there were birds, there were four-footed animals. And immediately, Peter realizes, this can't be for me. Yes, I'm hungry. But as he sees that, a voice comes and he tells him distinctly, clearly, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, being who he was, a Jew, a devout follower of Christ, and the traditions of Judaism says, no, I've never touched, I've never eaten anything unclean. This is not unlike Peter. Messages seem to have to come three times at a time for Peter. Peter seems to have a way of directly saying no to God. He has said it more than once before. Jesus says, I am going to be dying. He says, no, you will not die. Even if it means I'll die with you, I'll come with you. That's Peter. Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. And he says, no, you will not wash my feet. If you wash my feet, including my body. That's Peter. And I think I identify more with Peter than with Cornelius. I have questions. No, why should I? No, you are God. You don't do that. No, we are. We don't do that. It's repeated three times. And the end of our portion today it ends with the message saying, don't call common or unclean what I have called clean. What is God doing? What is God saying? What are you saying not to God? How has he come to you and you reject him. How has he given you privilege, opportunity, place of influence? He wants you to apply yourself for his honor, for his kingdom, and you keep on saying no. Maybe for most of us who are worse than Peter because it has been more than three times God is knocking and we refuse. We will see next week that ultimately Peter obeys and he changes the story. 
But as far as we come today, the challenge we have is we have what we call unclean. Not necessarily because we understand what God is doing, but because we are stuck up with our traditions. And the church, including this church, has got traditions. What traditions do we need to break down? Because when the sun sets us free, we truly are free. What is it that you are holding on to that is prohibiting the word of God to go forward? Who are you looking at and you consider unclean? Yet God wants to bring you to fellowship with that person. To worship as one body. Is it a woman that's keeping you away? Because you believe women don't do, don't say certain things. Is it a leader who you don't believe, don't do, don't say certain things that's keeping you away? Is it the prostitute on the streets that you have decided you shall call unclean? Is it the young man who walks in smelling all kinds of things including alcohol and smoke that you consider unclean before God? Is it the politician who is repressing you, oppressing you, depriving you of your future and your dreams that you call unclean. Who is it that's keeping you from obeying God? When Christ died, the veil was torn. We have direct access to God and everyone has direct access to God. Who is it that you are keeping away? What do we take away from these two visions? The lessons that I believe God is teaching us about himself as the one who brings salvation, but about us. Number one, God knows you and calls you by name. Cornelius, among all those Roman official, or officials, he is mentioned by name. In fact, there are only two centurions out of the four in the Bible who are mentioned by name. One is Cornelius. And Cornelius takes a different perspective because at this stage, the, stage, the, the next phase of bringing the word beyond the nation is taking place. You can imagine if today here walked the commander of the army, knelt here and said, I follow Christ, the risen Savior. There are waves that will go into that army. And we have heard those stories. When the village head turns to God, the village and the people turn to God. So Cornelius is an important part of God's working in extending his kingdom. But also God is fulfilling what he has said before. In Isaiah 43, 1, God said, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Lord, uh, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel? I know you by name. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Doesn't matter where you are, how high a position you may have, what privileges you have, 
what power you have, what money you have, or do not have. God calls you by name. Out of the billions of people in this world, he knows you. He knew you as you were formed in your mother's womb. And he has a plan for his kingdom, even through your presence. If you are hearing this word, it's time to hear God calling you. If you are hearing this word and you already know who Christ is, the question is, are you one of his sheep who knows his name? God knows you and calls you by name. Number two, God calls all people to worship him. All people regardless. All people. Are you a human being? Doesn't matter what you did, what you touched, what you saw, what you're struggling with. Are you a human being? God is calling you to worship him. The same Isaiah 43, 7, God goes on to say, Everyone who is called by, by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, is here for my glory, to worship me. Do you live for his glory? Salvation belongs to God. What else do you exist for if what you exist for does not glorify God? The teacher in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 concluded the matter and he says, the end of the matter comes. All has been had. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of men. Cornelius feared God. Cornelius kept the commandments. Number three, God calls us to trust and obey. When Cornelius saw the angel, heard his commendation and the instruction, some version says immediately he called three men. Two servants and a devout soldier. He told them everything the angel had told him and he sent them off to Joppa. He did not complain like Leonard. He did not try to reason out, oh, I think I was asleep. He obeyed. Maybe it's because he was a soldier. He was trained to obey. But if you are a believer in Christ, you are a soldier of Christ. Are you ready to obey every instruction that comes from the word, from the mouth of God? What keeps you from trusting God? Therefore, what keeps you from obeying God? Number four, God communicates in his own way as he chooses to each one of us. Both men were being prepared for the same task, be witnesses beyond to the end of the ages. One was given an instruction to go and call Peter. The other one, who is Peter, was given a vision, an instruction to kill and eat what could not be killed. The message is the same. Obey me. Trust me. In our early years of marriage with Fiona, we were waiting for children. They didn't come easy. 
many people, actually in fact I counted three vision holders, dream holders came to us with a daughter who hasn't come to this day. How do you hear God talk to you? It says previously he spoke to us through the prophets. Today he speaks to us through his son. And his son has come through his word. His son has come in the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. Let those who may be sent as angels be sent. Our reference point is God. Is it in line with God? When one brings a dream to you, is it about prosperity, about pride, about flesh, or it's about salvation? It's about extending God's kingdom. Yes, it would have been beautiful to hold a baby girl who that have honored God in the end is the person. Many are flocking to places where they are told their ID numbers and what they ate yesterday and where they will be next week. What has that got to do with the salvation of the very souls that are flocking to those places? Take care. Take heed. Be careful who you listen to. God still speaks today. Even if he chooses to speak in visions, he will do so. But is it about him, his glory, his honor, his kingdom, salvation of his souls? That's primary concern for God. So as we conclude, we've seen the two visions. God speaking. God calling us by name. God calling us to obedience. But at the core of it, God is preparing hearts, He's preparing nations, He's preparing communities to become one body. We are all saved through Christ, through one faith, one God, one Lord, one baptism. No more male or female. No more Jew. And as we'll look into this next week, we will see how Peter himself, even if he was there with Jesus, is continuously being made into a vessel that God uses. For some of us, we heard and we thought it's enough. God may still be making you. Are you ready to be broken? Wherever you are at, Whoever you are, wherever you are in social standing, wherever you are in your heritage of faith, God is saying, come as you are. Maybe you sit here and you have never had God call your name today. He's calling your name just as you are. Come. There will be, there is, there's always been one body, one spirit. We are called to that one hope. We are called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Come just as you are. We will be taking communion in a moment as we sing 307, 
listen to those words read those words digest those words don't leave this place before God makes you for the next stage of fellowship and worship that will extend his kingdom beyond us may God help us thank you father for your love thank you for your grace for your mercies today even as we sit here we pray that your will be done as it is done in heaven we pray that your kingdom may come into our hearts into our minds into our families into our neighborhoods into our workplaces into our cities into our nation onto our continent and beyond make us the vessels that you can use we pray in Jesus name